Amen. Church family, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you take it and open with me to the book of 1 Peter. We continue our sermon series through the book of 1 Peter this morning as we are considering uh, the people of God in the land of exile. One of the things that we believe as a church is in that the preaching event should be described by exposition. And what that means is we want to take the text of God's Word and walk through it in the same way with which it was written. And so normally that means verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And so today we continue in that pattern. And as we consider 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Peter here is, is, is taking some time in the book of 1 Peter to write about how the Christians are to live uh, in terms of earthly relationships, even though we have a home in, in heaven. And so last week we saw that we live in God's will, will while we are subject to rulers and authorities of this world. Uh, that is a challenging thing for sometimes even me to speak, for you to hear, for us to understand. But that, that is possible because of what we see in chapter 2, verse 24, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, it is the cross of Christ, what we have sung about already this morning, declared in song together this morning. It is the cross of Christ, is the means by which we can be faithful disciples in a foreign land. It's the means by which we can live faithfully unto God here on this earth, knowing that this earth is not our forever home. And Peter continues this same theme as we begin chapter 3 this morning, except for he makes it a little more personal. And he talks about, and what we'll see this morning, is how the cross shapes our most intimate earthly relationship, and that is in marriage. So how does uh, this text apply to those who are, who've never been married, or they're no longer married, or wish to be married, or maybe they are married in which they were not married? Um, and all of those things, how does this text of, of Scripture apply? I think what Peter is teaching us and instructing our hearts is this, that in all of our lives and in all of our relationships— they are to point to the cross of Christ. And so for you this morning, if, if you're here and, and this particular direct application does not holistically or, or, or perfectly apply to you, I, I hope that the Spirit of God will give you eyes to see how these principles that Peter is teaching do apply to you. Regardless of your age or life stage or marital status, there is truth in God's Word for our hearts this morning. Let's consider this text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. If you'll follow along as I read aloud, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of your wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. Verse 4, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
and you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as, a, as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, uh, we recognize that in the culture that we live in, just in the reading of these verses, that does not resonate well uh, with this culture. But Lord, we have not come to master this culture. We have not come to obey this culture. God, we, your people, are gathered here to obey you because your word is true. And so, Father, I pray that you would take the truth of this word. God, deconstruct our hearts and minds so that we see your word. And Lord, we rightfully, willfully live in obedience unto it. So, Father, whatever that means for those gathered, the different phases and life stages, marital status that exists in this room, God, we pray that you would take the truth of your word and impress it upon our hearts so that we, your people, God, would grow more into your image and likeness. For the next few minutes, as we sit under the authority of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In exile, the main idea I believe we see in these verses is in exile that marriage is a meant to be a mirror of the grace of Life. Peter continues to write to the church in exile and to remind them that in this place of life that you're in, you are to live as disciples of Jesus, even though you're scattered. And in this section on relationships, he spends seven verses here directly speaking to husbands and wives. And we know those of us who are or have seen our parents or another healthy and beautiful marriage, we know that one of the greatest blessings that God gives us here on this earth is marriage. But you also know, if you walk around with your eyes open and ears open, that marriage is not always easy. It's a challenge. It's given to us by God more for our own holiness than our own happiness, as one of my favorite books on marriage says, that God has given us a a spouse, a co-labor, a partner in life so that we could grow into the image of Christ, into Christ-likeness. But every single marriage is different, isn't it? Every single marriage has its own struggle. There's not a marriage in the world that lacks struggle. And if you believe that, you've been lied to your whole life. But we know that that is not an excuse to walk away from hard truth. We know that's not an excuse to ignore the truth of God's word. I I love the title of another book on marriage. It says, When Sinners Say I Do. Doesn't that capture the heart of marriage, right? It's two sinners living together, constantly growing in sanctification one to another. Uh, But even in the reading of our text today, I I think you see our need, our our desire as the people of God to approach this text seeking biblical truth more than we seek cultural trends. What we see, just like we did last week, is that all of these writings are ultimately for the mission of God. As Peter is writing and commending these truths to husbands and wives, it's, he's doing so that, that their marriage might commend, might, might demonstrate, might put on display the gospel of Jesus Christ. That your marriage is a tool for you to fulfill the mission of God. In exile, specifically in these verses, in the face of unbelievers, we see how marriage both commends and demonstrates the gospel. And it is a reminder, as Peter is emphasizing over and over and over again, that all of your earthly relationships are transformed when you follow Jesus. That's the truth. That's the truth that we see in this text. 
And so even if your marital status is not as you desire for it to be, even if your marriage this morning is not the quality that you desire it to be, that is a truth for our hearts this morning, that all of our earthly relationships are transformed when you follow Jesus. Peter uh, spends six verses addressing wives in chapter 3, one verse addressing husbands. And today we will pull three truths from each category, three truths for for women and wives here today, and and three truths for men and husbands here today. But the overall narrative, I believe, in the first six verses he is addressing these wives is this, that wife is to submit, wives are to submit to God's will with your husband. And even as I was reading this, a, a contemporary reading does not fully reflect the original meaning both in language, both in translation, both in, in, in context, and both in, in application. Words like submit and submission and, and respect and obey are often twisted in, these world, in this world's terms, and it makes this text even more challenging for us to understand what exactly God is teaching us here today. But as we see in, in the original language, all of these words ha- have a little bit of a, maybe a softer meaning, might be the best way to say it, in the original Greek. And as they're ordered in the original language, the emphasis of these verses of, for both wives and husbands is the will of God. The imperative is how you live the will of God with your partner in life, with your husband or with your wife. It is God's will that we're after, isn't it? It's what brings us together as one flesh. It is the will of God that, that keeps you together as one flesh. You live this life together. So let me show, I believe, what Peter is teaching here. Three aspects of the uh, wife, the, 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 the woman, in which that we can submit to God's will within your marriage. The first is this, is with pure conduct. Verse 1 and 2. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter writes here, and he begins with the word likewise. This, isn't help, this is helpful because it connects this paragraph with the previous paragraph and the previous paragraph. It's a continuous thought going all the way back to the beginning of chapter 2. He's saying likewise. And as chapter 2 begins, in the middle, all throughout, he's calling us to submit to the Lord's purposes. For the Lord's sake is how Peter phrases it. It says, even if some do not obey. So the specific context is he is writing to spouses who have an unbelieving husband. It says, even if some do not obey. We know contextually that was true in this audience as believers were coming to faith in Jesus and, and, and women were coming to faith in Jesus before their husbands and, and husbands were coming to faith in Jesus before their wives. And, and how does all this play out? Well, it plays out like this. He says that you are to live in such a way that they may be one without a word. He's not commanding uh, silence. He's not even commanding for you not to speak clearly or boldly or plainly to the truth of God's word. He's saying that you take the application, the truth of the gospel, and you live the gospel. You show the gospel in the way in which you live with your husband. He's encouraging the application of the gospel. How? He says, by their conduct, that it would be respectful and pure. 
or to use the words of James here, do not be a hearer of the word, or in Peter's sense, a talker of the word, but to be a doer of the word. The picture here is that an unbelieving spouse, that you are to make sure that they verbally know the gospel, that you verbally articulated the gospel to them, and then day in and day out, you show them, you model for them how the gospel has changed your heart and has changed your life. You demonstrate the gospel to your husband with pure conduct. Now, for the purpose of being crystal clear this morning, these verses do not give justification for you to stay in a relationship that is unsafe or dangerous. That's not what Peter is saying here. And so if you are hearing this this morning, if you're watching this online or ran across this in some way, shape, or form, hear me crystal clear. Peter is not telling you to stay in your marriage if it is not safe for you in your marriage. You go to the authorities. You tell them what exactly is happening in your marriage. And you run to the church so we can help walk you through those challenges. But the point is true for both. If you are unmarried or if you are married or if you long to be married or if you were married, it does not change that one of the primary means in which you are to live in relationship with one another is by which the way that you apply the gospel, you demonstrate the gospel one to another. Peter uses words like holy and impure conduct, that we are living the faith that we possess in our hearts, yes, in your marriage, but yes, also in every earthly relationship with boss, with co-worker, with children, with parents, with grandparents, anything and everything in between. We model for them what this looks like to live with pure conduct. The second teaching here is to live with imperishable beauty. Verse 3 through 5. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. What Peter is teaching here is that their adornment, their beauty should not come from external things. He lists a few categories here. The braiding of hair or gold jewelry or or fine clothing. Peter is showing and, and sharing here that these signs of spiritual wealth are not the same thing as signs of physical wealth. So you, as you live in, in, in faith, as you follow Jesus in faith, don't believe the lie that that faith can be expressed in fine things or has to be expressed in fine things because what Peter is saying here is that true beauty is not found that way. I'm not sure what... Good. All right. So he's saying here, listen, your beauty should not be found in those external things. He's not saying, no, you can't have them. He's saying, don't rely upon that to show your true beauty. The teaching of Matthew is helpful here. He says, well, one day moth and rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. What's the teaching? So lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. And so he's writing here encouraging you in relationship to lay up those treasures in heaven because that beauty Peter says is imperishable it will not go away and that beauty that does not perish is precious to use Peter's words here so the teaching the challenge the encouragement here is this to make that precious beauty your 
priority. To take what is precious in the sight of God and make that a priority for you in, in your marriage, in your relationships here on the earth. It's not a new teaching, even going back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Peter says this beauty is imperishable. He calls it a gentle and quiet spirit. And then he goes on to say that this is very precious in God's sight. Again, a verse that's often misunderstood here as if there's a particular feminine spirit that that women are to possess. But linguistically, if we study this, the spirit that's being referenced here is the fruit of the spirit. He's encouraging wives to live the fruit of the spirit. Calling on wives, and it's it's not meant for for women or, or wives alone. He's literally calling them to live a life that is modeled for them in the life of Jesus. Because in the Gospels, do you know how Jesus is also described? He's gentle and lowly at heart. That he is humble and gentle. So the the encouragement to wives is live like Jesus. He's not asking them to take on a secondary class in society. He's asking them to follow the model of Jesus. To reflect the imperishable beauty of Jesus. To be like Jesus in your marriages in your workplace, in your family. Third truth for for wives and women here is to use and live with respectful speech. Verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He gives them a model, Sarah. If you remember in the Old Testament, she was married to Abraham. The picture here is that she obeyed Abraham and calling him Lord, but without a clear understanding of what Peter is referencing, you will completely misunderstand this text. The reference is to Genesis chapter 18. You remember the story when Abraham is told that a year from now he and his his wife will uh, have a child? And you remember Sarah's response? She almost gives like this sarcastic response to Abraham. Like, you mean like we can do that in our old age? Like in my dry spirit is what Sarah says. But there's a phrase in there that we don't miss. And that is that she calls him Lord. And it's not capital L, it's lowercase l. Um, and our, again, culturally would not translate to the way that we would call our, or call your husband Lord. You don't have to do that. It's a, it's a term of respect. What Sarah is communicating, even in this laughable situation, in the impossible, even in the ridiculous, ridiculousness, Sarah is communicating a, a word of trust. Okay, Abraham, if if that's what God told you, this is laughable from the world's eyes, but Abraham, if that's what God told you, then I trust him and I trust you. So Peter takes that response of Abraham and elevates that, that even in laughable, ridiculous, impossible situations and circumstances, that she was willing to obey God, willing to trust her husband. It's an interesting model because if you read Genesis... Sarah often speaks very directly and very truthfully to Abraham. So Peter here is in no way silencing women. He's in no way commanding them to be voiceless. Rather, he is encouraging them to speak the truth with respect. That's what Peter's teaching here. And the invitation here is that you can be her children. And in that reality, he says that there is no fear. For you in that relationship, that you no longer have to fear things that are frightening to you because you and your husband, you are in 
uh, relationship together. You're under his protection. You're under his care. You see, that is God's design, that there is no fear in this relationship. And so Peter here is not teaching a a patriarchal enforced submission. Rather, he is teaching a a gospel-fueled submission. That you can make my name known throughout the world by the way that you love one another, husband and wife. That you can make my name known. You can be called, even in exile, to model gracious submission to God's will with your husband. So that your husband... And also the watching world would see your pure conduct, your imperishable beauty, your respectful speech that adorns and displays the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to in relationships. Specifically here, Peter is giving these encouragements to women. And he goes on in in verse 7 to offer these encouragements to husbands, that we are to live in God's will with your wife. Verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You catch that first word again. It's the word likewise. Peter is continuing. He's referencing back to verse 1, referencing back to chapter 2. He's connecting this entire argument together and connecting it to the cross of Christ. Verse Uh, chapter 2 verse 24 he's showing us that we are called to live the christian life both for husbands and wives and it's clear direction here for husbands something that we should all strive for first encouragement is this to live in understanding with your wife or to understand your wife as a person there is a countless careless and foolish jokes that could be told Uh, None of them have a place here in the pulpit about understanding, about men understanding women. Um, But that's not what Peter is saying here. He's not saying that men have to understand women. He's saying, husband, you need to strive to understand your wife. That's the one woman that I have entrusted to you. He says, live with your wife. This is the imperative in the verse. It is a, a, a whole, like, a encompassing phrase here, that you're to live together, to include both physical and, and sexual intimacy, that you're connected in such a way that you cannot be separated. And he says that is with full knowledge, with full understanding, to live God's will with your wife as you live in understanding with your wife. It's a journey, it's a goal that we strive for, to understand your wife as a person. Second, honor your wife as precious. Verse 7 also says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The idea of showing honor is, is showing respect, that you are to treat your wife as an equal image bearer of God, as the weaker vessel. He's not talking about an emotional weakness, a financial weakness, a social weakness, an intellectual weakness. None of these things are taught anywhere in Scripture. What he's literally saying here is that your wife is physically weaker than you. So be her protector, husband. That's what Peter is saying. Be her helper. And this biblical truth is one of the countless reasons that abuse and neglect is such an atrocity. Because husbands are meant to honor their wives, not hurt them. Physically, emotionally, or spiritually. You're to honor them, to respect them, 
Why? Verse, or the, I think the third encouragement. Because you are to walk with your wife as your partner. Peter says in the end of verse 7, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Peter reminds them of the great promise that they will receive together. The great inheritance that they will enjoy together. That they are heirs with you. That husband and wife both receive the same reward. They both receive the same inheritance. They are both running the same race. And so nowhere in scripture do we get a picture of one being superior or the other being inferior. What Peter is recognizing here is that they have different roles. They have different responsibilities. But at the end of the day, they are co-heirs to the inheritance that has been purchased for them on the cross of Christ. He calls it the grace of life. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been entrusted to you, husband and wife. You walk together as partners in this life God has given to you. Peter adds his own application here directly to husbands so that your prayers may not be hindered. The teaching here and the application that Peter is giving here is this, that husbands, if you cannot honor and care for the gift God has given you in your wife, why do you think that God is going to give you anything else? And you're to treasure her. I believe this is why if you read the biblical qualifications of leadership for men in the New Testament, that in both cases, that managing one's household well is a qualification to lead in God's church. Because we have been entrusted with a gift, and we are to strive. We won't do it perfectly, men. We are to strive to care for them well, to love them well, to honor and to respect and to walk with them. And this is why marriage is so beautiful, because it is a stewardship of God's gift that he has, been, that he has given to us. So we tie all of this together, and we take a step back to remember at where Peter is writing to. Again, he's writing in exile. And so he spends this time addressing wives and husbands so that when they view themselves, as they apply the gospel to one another, as they walk towards the grace of life that we have been entrusted with together, what we are doing is we are giving a picture of the beauty of Christ that he has given to us. So the encouragement and the application is this, is do not neglect this relationship that has been instituted by God. Because the promise that is given here is that God has promised to work in that relationship and through that relationship to make his name known all throughout the world. Can't help but think, as Peter is writing here, that he is encouraging these marriages, these husbands and wives, as they live together, even while they're in exile, say, hey, hold on to one another. The times are hard, the times are challenging, and perhaps... Some days it might feel like that's all that you have is one another. But you see, there's also, going back to where we started, there's a missiological purpose here. What God is is saying, he's writing to the early church through Peter to say, listen, I'm going to use your marriages to bring about a great movement of my spirit all over the face of the earth. I'm going to build my church as Christians, husbands and, and wives love together, work together, Serve together. For a moment, that same application for our hearts. What if God uses the marriages of our church to bring about that same spirit, that same movement, that same awakening, that same 
revival to our city, to our church? What if God's desire is to strengthen it and continue to grow the marriages of our body? So they're beacons of hope. They're ways in which the watching world can watch husband and wife love and forgive and demonstrate the gospel one to another time after time after time after time because marriage is what scripture teaches us is a model for the world how jesus loves his bride so we're to model that time and time again so again if you're single here single and waiting you're divorced you're widowed you're married and struggling maybe you're married and growing be reminded of this truth that god has given you every relationship in every season to demonstrate the hope of the gospel that is the big picture truth even as peter is addressing individual husbands and wives like if that doesn't perfectly apply to you take the truth of what he's teaching and apply it to your heart and to your own relationships that god has given you every relationship in every season so that through your relationships you might demonstrate the hope of the gospel of jesus christ whether it's husband and wife loving one another whether it's a business transaction whether it's a purchase at the grocery store whether it's an interaction at your doctor's office whether it's an interaction with your co-worker whether it's a disagreement at work whether it's a family struggle in your life and in your home and in your somewhere in your family tree. The truth that, that Peter is teaching here is God has given you every single one of those relationships as an opportunity for you to demonstrate the hope of the gospel to one another. So the invitation this morning is this, to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only in the grace that we have received by the sacrifice of God's Son for us on the cross that any relationship on the face of the earth is possible. You see, and we can find in that truth, we can find hope in the brokenness of relationship. You can find hope in the brokenness of marriage, not in your own strength, not in your own ambition, not in your own willpower, but because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for you. Jesus says it like this, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So we remember the gospel, we rely upon the gospel, that as we display God's glory, we are not to depart God's grace, that we stand upon it, we rely upon it, that in our marriage and in every earthly relationship, even while we're in exile, even while we're alone here on this earth, longing for our heavenly home, that you can be, we can be a beacon of hope. We can be light in darkness and how we give and receive love, how we give and receive grace, how we demonstrate the gospel one to another. For parents, for husbands and wives, for grandparents, for business owners, for bosses, for employees. This is the hope that Peter is writing to remind us of, that in relationship with one another is an opportunity for you to remember chapter 2, verse 24, beautifully written, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. It's a sober reality for us because we know here on this earth there is brokenness in every single relationship. And sometimes the temptation is we read these truths and sometimes we elevate relationship 
to a place uh, and to a status and to a weight that they cannot maintain. But what we see in, as Peter is weaving his argument together, it is the wounds of Christ that heal you. Like, listen, there is no marriage, great or poor, no matter how long you've been married. There's no earthly relationship, big or small, that can heal the wounds that Jesus can heal for you. And so for us this morning, may we be reminded of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for us. And let that be both the foundation for all of our earthly relationships and the fuel, the means by which we can live in relationship one to another. Why? Because in relationship, we are reminded to mirror the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in exile, we are called in marriage to mirror the grace of life, the goodness of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, one to another. Would you pray with me? Father, in, in a lot of ways, it's a challenging text in our hearts and our lives. It brings back emotions that perhaps we come to church to try and escape. Lord, we pray that you use the truth of your word, God, to confront those emotions, those feelings, those realities in our hearts and lives. God, every single person here in this room, married, unmarried, newlywed, or celebrating many, many years of marriage together, all of us, God, need to apply these truths to our hearts. Lord, we need to grow in grace in relationship to demonstrate the gospel one to another. And in that overflow, God, there are imperatives for us, ways in which we are to live, ways in which we are to love. And so, Father, we pray that as we respond to you, you would take those truths and impress them upon our hearts. Lord, may this time of response, may it be a time of freedom, may it be a time of forgiveness, Lord, may it be a time of commitment, may it be a time where we do not rely upon our own strength, But Lord, we acknowledge our weakness and turn to your grace to help us be the people of God that you've called us to be in any and every relationship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.